That was good. Come, Lord Jesus. We can just go home now. Guys, thank you so much. Man, aren't we blessed with some amazing, talented worship people? We really are. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. I love hearing the horns. Keep it coming, Dan. Hey, if anybody out there plays saxophone, please let us know. Been wanting to get a sax in here for a long time. I love it. Well, before we get going this morning, first I want to say it's a privilege to be able to come before you again and share. Uh, told Grady, as we started John, there's some passages that, you know, I love and stand out to me. And you'll hear me later for John 10. Just get ready. You'll hear some more about the shepherd. You know, got to love doing that. But, um, but Grady's been doing a lot these past during Passion Week and a funeral and other things. So during this passage that we came to, I'm like, hey, brother, if you need a break or just I would love the opportunity to share if you don't mind. So he was very gracious to give me the opportunity and the privilege again to come before you to encourage you guys. But before I get started with this, I just want to extend our continued thanks and gratitude to the family for your prayers and support and encouragement for my mother who is here. Thank you, Lord, for raising her back up. We're so glad to have you back. She's been doing well the past couple of weeks, recuperating, get her heart back strengthened again. And, but uh, this Tuesday is a big decision, a, a big report from my father. For those that don't know, he has uh, liver cancer, lesions on the liver, and a tumor on his pancreas. And uh, he's been going through four rounds of chemo, and uh, we get an updated PET scan result this Tuesday. And so, honestly, it's a God update, right? We're just going to get an update and see what God is doing, what what he may not be doing, and that's okay too, as we're going to hear today, and just where God is in the situation and what he's going to lead forth from this point on. And so come Tuesday afternoon will be uh, kind of a clear signal on how we proceed from here. But thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone for your love and support, and uh, we are really experiencing that. So, uh, and also just want to recognize in this type of situation in life, God gives you people in your lives to as we all have, kind of give you a little boost of hope, right, and encouragement, kind of like an injection of spiritual fresh air. And so I just want to recognize uh, Mark and Susan Daly, who is that for us. If you guys are standing, we'll give them a gateway welcome. They, uh, they are very dear friends of ours, and uh, they live in Central Florida and travel, and every time we need just a breath of God to encourage us, God sends us Mark and Susan. And so uh, they're coming up to be with us during this time, so... You guys know I'm an emotional guy, and this passage brings up some stuff, but I'm going to work through it, and I'm excited to share. God's been convicting me this week, as I always get before you, and Grady, as anybody who's been up here, the teaching's mostly for who? For the one bringing it most of the time. And so, but before I get going and we go to the passage where we are, we're proceeding through John, and uh, we're going to finish up John 4 today, and people realize, um, some of the scholars call this the Cana Cycle. C-A-N-A, where Jesus started in Canaan, and this is like a cycle because he comes back here as we finish John 4. But I want to do it really brief, and for those of us who are at Secret Church Friday night, I'm going to not do this as quickly as David, I promise. But I want to give a little timeline just to get us caught up. It's been a few weeks since we've been in John as far as, you know, chronologically proceeding through. So just hear me, and I was going to try to have a map up here, but we've seen some of that in the back of our Bibles, you know, where things are. But I want to give a brief update, a timeline of where we are right now to kind of get us in that context historically in the mode of where we are with Christ. So we had John the Baptist was with his disciples in Bethany beyond the Jordan. After Jesus was baptized, he's hung out in that area for a little bit, and John the Baptist had his disciples come in to him, and John kept pointing, there he is, there he is. There's the, the whole, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow him. He's the one who was to come that I was paving the way for. So after Jesus was baptized... He uh, gathered Peter and Andrew and James and John, and then Jesus proceeded to go up to the Sea of Galilee 
to Bethsaida to get Philip. Okay, Philip was up there. So Philip came along, and then Philip went and got Nathaniel. So at that point, Jesus had his little small crew at this point, a really small group. And after Bethsaida, they were invited to a wedding with his mom. And as we all know, we went through that. Uh, Drew brought a great message on that at the wedding at Cana, where the water was turned to wine. And this is the first time, first miracle that Jesus performed. And what was it called? Scripture called it, it was the first, what? Sign. Remember the word. Sign. It was the first sign. Scripture made it very clear. It was the first miracle, but John used the word sign. And it was for a reason. And after the miracle took place, Jesus and his mothers, his brothers, his disciples, it says there, they all went to Capernaum for a few days. We don't know if it was R&R, just a little break. But this was Peter and Andrew's home. Peter moved from Bethsaida down to Capernaum and made his home there. So they hung out there for a few days. And then as good Jews do, they went to Passover. They were still participating in the feast and going back down there and participating with that. And Jesus went to Jerusalem, which is about 85 miles from Capernaum. It's a pretty good walk, isn't it? So that they were faithful individuals, faithful to their religion and faithful to what God had called them to do. So they went down to Jerusalem for Passover. And this was kind of Jesus' coming out party. <laughs> Jesus came into Jerusalem. And did he come in quietly and kind of do a little bit here and maybe had a little small gathering? What's the first thing he did when he entered into the temple? Cleared it out. <laughs> Got to have to remember. Broke out a little switch and just had a little heyday in there with righteous anger and cleared the temple out. So do you think he was known after that? Yes. And again, guys, this started the stir. There's a spiritual stir that's all throughout the New Testament, all through the Gospels, that Jesus did purposefully through, as we're going to see, the will of the Father. On purpose, he had to get things moving to make himself known. So the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Roman God, everybody knew, I'm here. I have come. So Jesus began to make himself known throughout that area. And in uh, John 2, 23, said, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. He performed miracles. He performed signs in Jerusalem. The scripture is silent on what he did. Okay? Scripture does not reveal that. And Grady taught on how they say many believed in his name, but as he said, Jesus didn't believe their what? Their belief. He didn't trust in why they were believing because they were looking to the performance and the miracle and the wonder and not to who he was and who he came to claim to be. And after that, Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus that night. They went out into the on the outskirts and had the conversation and Nicodemus again referenced the miracles, referenced the signs that Jesus was doing. After that conversation, Jesus went out into the Judean countryside and many scholars believe they spent a few months out there near the Jordan baptizing, ministering and baptizing people okay, for some time. In that time frame, John the Baptist's disciples came back to him as John was still baptizing a little further north in Anon, A-E-N-O-N, because it says the water was there was more water there. And they came and said, this guy, Jesus, he's baptizing a lot of folks. He's, I mean, his disciples were, but they were referencing it was him. His ministry's flourishing. He's baptizing folks. What are we, we going to do about this? And John proceeds to really preach. He gives them almost like a sermon. This is who he is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he came to do. And this is where we get the quote, he must increase and I must decrease. And Jesus started hearing, word got around that the Pharisees were getting a little upset. And this was the beginning. They were hearing what Jesus was doing, that there was an impact, that people were coming to him, that John the Baptist's ministry was flourishing. So this started the stir about the Pharisees beginning to want to end his life, or at least to get him to stop doing what he was doing. So when Jesus heard about this, he said, it's time to go back to Galilee. And then as we said, saw in John 4, 
the scripture was very clear. On his way back to Galilee, it said Jesus had to pass where? Through Samaria. Purposefully. Okay? And Grady brought a great sermon about it. He shouldn't have. As a Jew, Samaritans, they didn't love, like each other. It was prejudice. Um, they were at odds religiously and everything else culturally. But God had a plan and had him pass through Samaria, the city of Sakar, and met the woman. And there was a mini revival. Really, the first mini revival, guys, of a city happened in Samaria. And Jesus was welcome to stay there for a couple days. So it was a successful revival. I mean, like, if it was a little, it was a little crusade, it would have been like, woohoo, chalk one up. It was good. People responded. They welcomed him in their home. So Jesus hung out there for two days. So that's where we get us here to John chapter 4, verse 43. Up to that point is where Jesus was hanging with the, those in Samaria, Samarita, Samarita, Samaria, enjoying the presence, and it literally said, many, many believed in his name. So as we do, if you'd please stand in the honor of God's word as we read this next text and see what the Lord has for us this morning. John chapter 4, verse 43 through 54. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour which he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I'm so excited to, and just a, what a humbling privilege it is to be able to teach your word, see your word, learn from your word. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that CJ would be silent and that you would speak, that you would reveal yourself to us this morning through this text, that we would see your nature, your character, your heart, your ways, all that you are this morning, God. We thank you for the power of your word of what we just declared and what we learned Friday night, Lord, through Secret Church, just reminded of that, that your word is divine, it is true, it is clear, it is sufficient, it is good, it is authoritative, it is without error, infallible, it is perfect. And God, we thank you we can look to it today for life, for hope, for purpose, to see you and to know you better. Have your way this morning, Holy Spirit. Come teach us, reveal yourself to us, enlighten us to your ways, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here we are in John chapter 4, verse 43. Jesus in Samaria, and it says in verse 43, After the two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. When you've read this before, and it is, it's interesting, just there was a little insertion there. It could, should easily, the flow should have been, after the two days he departed for Galilee. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. But what did John insert here? Very critical insertion. Remember, John was the last gospel written. 
So he knows what Jesus said. There was things written before and all, but this was a quote. As he said, Jesus testified of this. And what this reference is to is when Jesus mentioned in Matthew 13 and Mark 6 and Luke 4, when Jesus was in Nazareth, his first time, and he was declaring to them Isaiah 61, he was reading the scroll, and he was reading Isaiah 61, that the one who's coming to preach the good news, to bring, you know, set the captives free and bring sight to the blind and, and the favorable of the year of the Lord. And then at the end of that, he said, what? This has come true in your hearing. Did they have a good response? No. The hometown went, what? The Messiah is supposed to declare that. And as scripture says, they were enraged. They were upset, mocking, rejecting, and literally took him out and wanted to do what? Toss him off a cliff. So this reference, this quote, is from that reference of that encounter. So literally here, John purposefully is inserting this to say the reason why Jesus had to go back to Galilee. Okay? Boyce, one of the scholars, says Jesus is going to Galilee because he will have no honor there. And just look at the implications for us, just in the heart of God and who Jesus is. Wright says, It was not in accord with the mind of Jesus, says John the Evangelist, to stay where the welcome was greatest or the difficulties least. Because if that was the case, where should Jesus have hung out for a good while? Where he was, right? Man, he should have taken some serious little R&R, a siesta in Samaria. Because what did they do? Come home. They were all believers now. They were hanging out. It was good. But that wasn't the mind of Jesus. That was not his purpose or his heart. Why? Jesus had a divine mission. He had a divine order from the Lord. And these are three of my favorite verses. And guys, this passage from 43 to 54 is just going to give us a wonderful reminder of why we're sitting in this room, what God has called us to. And I love these three verses of what Jesus was experiencing and why he had to go do what he did. John 4.34, Grady mentioned this a few weeks back, one of my favorite verses in this text, where the apostles were coming back in Samaria and they brought him a lunch or food and said, are you ready to eat? And Jesus says, my food, what sustains me, what satisfies me, what brings me sustenance, what I need is to do the will of him who sent me and to what? Accomplish his work. Everyone go to John 5.30, go one page over. Sorry, Grady, I got to jump ahead a little. John 5.30. Love this. Look at these seven words. Every time I read this, it's still, it's like so wonderful for us to see this. The God-man, Jesus himself saying this. Verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. Let's all say it together. I can do nothing on my own. Jesus said this. Fully God, fully human. The reason I'm so glad this was stated, why the Spirit led and God had this statement come forth, because this is our example. For us, Jesus himself saying, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Guys, that's incredible. And what I love about it is the word seek. Jesus is not just sitting back going, seeking is an active word. It's zateo. The Greek word means it's a, a proactive thing. I'm seeking after my Father's will, wanting to engage with him and connect and seek, what am I to do? Look at the ramifications for us, how we need to embrace this. That Jesus did nothing on his own. He listened, he heard, and he acted. So what was the Father's will and mission that we saw there, this divine order that would compel even Jesus at this time to go back to Galilee? And it's Luke 19.10. Grady mentioned a few times in the past few sermons. 
Luke 19.10. Memorize this one, saints. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what? The lost. That's the mission. Even at this moment, he was rejected, he was mocked, he was almost killed from his hometown, his home people. A place where there was lostness and need and despair and hardness of heart. And God was saying, guess where I'm going to send you back to? The place where you were almost killed. The place where they may not receive you again. Jesus had no idea what to expect. It was a two to three day walk from this area back up to Cana. And so just the process of thinking what was to come, what was he going to do, being led by the Father's will. So Jesus was returning to a place of unbelief, of lostness and hardness, of brokenness, of rejection. Regardless of the consequences, he obeyed knowing the Father's will and what he was called to do. And I got that just out of that one verse. I mean, it's amazing how John inserted that in there. That was his purpose and cause for going back. So just right there as we start this, I want us to process. And for me, I was, as I was reading this saying, CJ, am I willing to be led that way? Do I live my life that way on a daily basis? Truly embracing, I can't do it on my own, and I'm truly daily going to seek the will of the Lord in everything I do. Despite consequences, Despite rejection, despite pain, suffering, trials I may be in. I know many of you in this room are going through things even right now, relationship trials, or even at work, ministering to people that may be rejecting you or mocking you or thinking you're, you know, persecuting you in your faith, or maybe there's some relational tension. Are we willing to see this and know, despite the consequences that may come upon us, are we willing to take light back into darkness? Are we willing to go back into the broken places on purpose, knowing we may be hurt, rejected, mocked, or endure some type of trial or pain. And that's just what the Lord convicted me with on that one thing. And CJ willing to go back and risk relationships again, risk a phone call, risk coming back and talking to someone who may have already mocked you and rejected you and said, I want to talk about it. But lovingly seek his will. Lord, are you calling me back into that kind of a situation to go back to Galilee, to go back to a place where there is a need despite the consequences we may endure? And so I just want to put that out there as we see the rest of this and see how God moved beyond that situation and how we can seek him in that way and that God can use us in situations like this. So I just want to put that there. Are we willing to seek his way? That's what I love about this, that the Holy Spirit led Jesus. Remember, just as a reminder, Jesus, again, didn't do anything on his own. Even to go into the wilderness for the temptation, who led him and guided him into the wilderness for temptation? The Holy Spirit did. He didn't even do that on his own. The Holy Spirit, it said in Luke 4, led him, took him into the wilderness to be tempted. But praise God at the end of it, because that was Jesus' boot camp. That was his training. At the end of it, he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit to begin his ministry. And guys, even hearing that, it's like, this is what the same Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness to be molded and cultivate his calling and everything that God did to resist temptation, to walk with God, is the same Holy Spirit that abides where? Right here. In us. And guys, we need that reminder to know the power and the person we have access to that wants to guide and direct us. So let's see the amazing result of what Jesus did and got to experience in his obedience and what we can glean from. That was just two verses. I love it. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Isn't that interesting? So a place where there was despair and unbelief and brokenness and rejection, but it made it very clear when Jesus went to Jerusalem, 
People from the hometown went there, his home of Galilee. People went down, they saw the signs. But what is very clear is, would you not welcome someone where you saw the supernatural? These guys, it's very clear. It wasn't a belief and a welcoming of who he is. It was a welcoming of what? What he did. So I would welcome a magician. I would welcome a dude that did something that was not normal. Because what? What can I get out of it? And that's what these guys respond to. Nothing here, as you're going to see, ever mentions any type of saving faith or belief that we welcome you as Messiah. We welcome you as Savior. It is we welcome you as one who does things out of the ordinary. I would be, that would be me. We're all those Galileans. We would welcome him in that way. So that was the context of him coming home. And in verse 46, it says, So he came again into Galilee, where he had made, into Cana in Galilee, where he made the water to wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So again, came back to Cana. Doesn't say why, but obviously knowing that's his home in a safe place. And God divinely put him there. And John, again, reiterated the same place where a miracle had already taken place. These people in Cana had seen what? They have seen a miracle. They have experienced his power and seen the miraculous. And God supernaturally, man, this is great, brings a man, an official from Capernaum. This official, in many translations, mentions a court official, a royal official, a nobleman, an officer. Most scholars agree that this is a gentleman who is in the court of King Herod Antipas, okay, in the court of Herod, living in Capernaum as an official, ruling in some capacity in that area, okay? And again, remember, Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee, and it is a place, just so you know, 11 miracles took place in Capernaum. Out of Jesus' 31 or 32 miracles, 11 Jesus did in Capernaum. It was just an area that God led him to to do many things. So this official came down from there. Whether he was a Jew or a Gentile is up for debate. I mean, some scholars believe different things on that part, but it really doesn't have much relevance to actually the story, but just to put it out there, they weren't sure if he was a Jew or a Gentile. But here's the key too. Obviously, in this position, he was a man of what? Authority, great influence, Obviously, responsibility, wealth, power in this community. And so just thinking about that, the, the mindset and the context of why this man would have to come to Jesus, as it says here, knowing his son was ill. So look at verse 47 as we continue. So when he came, to Gal- um, when he came from Capernaum, there was an official who said his son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So the official heard that Jesus was coming. So what would compel the man to come down from what he heard? Okay, I heard Jesus was coming, so what would you think the reputation was in the city or in that area? Miracle worker, supernatural acts. A man has come who we know did some amazing things in Jerusalem. He may have heard about the water turning to wine, and he heard about this man coming back to Cana. But here's the other thing, and it reminded me of Luke chapter 8. The woman with the hemorrhage. I don't know if many of you remember the story. I love this. But she had a bleeding problem for 12 years. 12 years. And made it very clear in Luke. He put this in there on purpose. For 12 years and could not be healed by anyone. She went, exhausted everything she could in the natural. Now think about this official. Wealth, power, influence. What would he have access to in Capernaum? <laughs> Think about it. I mean, 
This is just logical. We don't have to have the scriptures to lay it all out. Best medicine, wealth, doctors, he would have the best of the best. I mean, he may have even could have submitted to King Herod himself and go, help. So he exhausted everything you would think, based on this, it's just logical to think, exhausted everything in the natural to try to heal his son, to bring health and life to his son. So the man very obviously was very what? Desperate. Very sense of desperation what came upon this man. Nothing worked in the natural. There was no answer for him. And so there was only one place to try and come and see. So he comes to Jesus, and in verse 48, what a response. <laughs> you can imagine this man coming up. Jesus is always in a crowd. So the, the assumption here is he is in a crowd because of the verb we're about to see. So being around folks in Cana, this official comes up sense of desperation, asking Jesus to come down. And the reason, just a little highlight, the reason it says come down is Cana was on a hill, and the way they write, Capernaum was down, so they would have had to go back to Capernaum, um, coming back down the hill to go there. Some people even say, how did that work? But he come down to heal his son, for he's at the point of death. So Jesus looked at the man, and he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Whew. I think that's a little, little harsh. <laughs> I mean, the man's coming to plead for his son's life, and this is the response he gets. The key here, the word you there, the Greek, it's plural. So as Jesus is looking at the man, he says, unless you believe signs and wonders, you will not believe. Who is he addressing? The group. He's addressing the Galileans. Okay, this man living, but he's addressing the group. You guys are all about the signs and wonders and the actual act, but if you don't see it, where's your faith? This man's coming almost with a blind faith from just a reputation. He may not have seen anything. He's just heard what Jesus has done. But this quote is going to the masses, even though the man is still there. And what I love about his response, it didn't budge him. I mean, the man is so determined, which I can only imagine. I have my son there. I can only imagine for either of my kids the sense of desperation and love for your child of what you want to see life come to your child. You will do whatever it takes. So the official says in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. There's no argument. There's no rebuttal. He just says, please, sir, come down before my child dies. The sir there obviously is a look of respect. And the, the tone changes. When he says my child, that is literally like my little boy. There's an affection there, like, please. And there's a beggingness to it now. I'm, you're it. Please come before my little one dies. Somebody brought up, which is so true for all of us, as I first saw this. The man had enough crisis of faith to come and ask Jesus to come back to heal his son of the fever. But what did he not have enough faith to try to express? Come back before my son dies. But there was a limitation to his belief, wasn't there? Which would have, rightly so. Well, I'm not discounting the guy. But he never said, hey, if my son dies, can you come back and raise him? That had never been done. <laughs> And this goes to say, we don't know what happened in Jerusalem. We really don't know what supernatural acts happened in such a way for this man to even believe that Jesus could heal a human, that could heal sickness of the faith that this man had. But he obviously had a struggle with faith to think, I don't think you could raise the dead because he never expressed that here. My son can't, will die if you do not come. So it goes back again as Jesus mentions this word and John so wonderfully brings it up. And as we say, this is the heart of this book. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. 
Can you put up that reminder verse, Taylor? And this is something we read every week. And this is Jesus' heart was saying this. That these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You know what I love about this verse? It, the key is not that by believing, you may just come to heaven or just may be with me for eternity. But what's the key phrase at the end? Life in his name. Again, I always say, if it was just about being forgiven and just going to heaven, the second CJ should have got, got saved, what should Jesus have done? Whoop! Take me up. But that's not it. It's that God may be glorified and revealed to a lost world and dying world for his glory because people will see life that I get to experience in Jesus. See him working in and through me. And these signs, these signs that people did that we may look and believe that Jesus is who he says he is to experience life in his name so that the world will see that life in and through us. Thanks, Taylor. So this is the heart of the man, despair, desperation. He doesn't respond in a negative way after he gets challenged. What a challenge. But he says, sir, please come. And that's just amazing. Jesus said to him in verse 50, go, your son will live. Go is imperative. It means go now, be on your way. And what I love about the Greek word, I love how Grady always brings that up. You know, English doesn't do its justice. But the Greek phrase here, your son will live, literally means your son lives. <laughs> like a point of fact. Not a prophetic. Jesus wasn't prophesying saying your son's going to live. Like it's going to happen soon. The Greek word here, the phrasing here literally means your son is living. That life is done. He is healed. And look at this transition, you guys, just to show who God is and what he does. I mean, maybe I just look at things and get more astounded and just love seeing God at work. But look at the next phrase. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke. What? Guys, I mean, we're talking, he heard one phrase, and like that, he was what? Faith. I mean, that's incredible. And this is the same Holy Spirit right here. That's the only reason this happened. It was like God granted this transition of faith instantly because there was no rebuttal, as we see here. The man believed what Jesus had spoken to him, and he went on his way. There was no, but no, I need you to come, and I need you to come confirm and make sure. And it was just matter of fact. Go, your son lives. Holy Spirit works, and he's gone. Because that should so encourage us that the same God that is abiding in us and lives in us and guides us and works in and through us is that God, is that same Holy Spirit that transformed this guy in a moment. Faith was granted to him. Moment, exact moment. There was no rebuttal, no discussion, no what if. And I love that even we got to see the rest. I mean, John didn't have to put the whole how it all worked out, but how this story even ended is just miraculous of what God did. So as he was going down, he left. Now, granted, Cana to Capernaum is about 16 miles, okay? So he's in Cana, 16 miles away is his son. Now, he's a royal official, so do you think he walked there with a sense of desperation? No. I mean, I would think man has wealth, he's going to have a horse. And you would think if his son's at the point of death, is he's going to be just doing a little trot. I'm sure he was on secretariat. You know what I mean? 
Now, if it was my son, I'm, right, I'm getting in my Jaguar. I mean, I'm going to get there as quickly as possible, right? I mean, it's desperation. It's emotion. My son's dying. I'm going to get there as fast as I can because I need Jesus to come back. That's the only faith I got is enough to get him back here. I'm going to throw him on my horse, and we're coming back because I need the medicine man to heal my son. That's the mindset. But look at this. Guys, this should speak so much to us. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Y'all mean, like, well, it's just a time. No, look at this. Logically, he's on a horse, only 16 miles away. The seventh hour, the way John writes, he takes the Jewish calendar because when he mentioned about the woman coming to the well, it would have been high noon, right, Grady? I did study that. Thank you. Okay. Just got to check. He has a PhD. I do not. So, <laughs> but no, but this is important, though, even this. This fact of the timetable is glorious that at 1 p.m., the healing took place, and the man, the father, knew when they said, when did my son get healed, or when was he recovering? They said, at the seventh hour. That man processed as he met them on the way that yesterday, there's the word yesterday, so it was the day after the sun had set. Over here, it was the next day. So again, if you think about this logically, man, horse, all this, the dude was not riding fast back to Capernaum. Y'all see that? 16 miles isn't ever, but I mean, it's not like he's on an absolute haul-in just to get back. What does that tell us then? What did that man experience that quick by an act of God that he would get back on his horse and then talk to his servants the next day to meet them? Peace, rest, contentment, trust. I mean, that's incredible. There would have been a sense in me, I would think, of excitement to go back and say, is my son right? But this has got to, to say to some degree, there was no hauling and all that. There was a peace about him that there wasn't any more of the sense of despair or urgency. The man had faith and trust that the word that was spoken was true and that God did something. That's just awesome. And as you guys all know, my sister, I need this. This is what I need to see. This is what I need to read. This is what I need to pray. It's one thing we did, you know, Friday night is we prayed out Scripture. We prayed out the Word of God and said, God, this is what you promised. Regardless of the result, this is who you are. And this is what you promised. So I'm going to pray that because it's your Word, and it's true, and it's authoritative. And this is, I prayed this this week for my dad. I'm like, God, I am in despair. I am desperate. You're the only one I can come to. Whether you heal my father through chemo or you do a supernatural act that you did right here, you're still the same God. It's still you get glory, you get credit, you get honor. I will shake the doctor's hands and thank the nurses for sticking the needle in, but you get the glory. Whether it's chemotherapy or supernatural. And guys, I believe you can do it either way. Same God. He hasn't changed. Same power, same glory. But to see what this man experienced, the peace and rest, to come back and go, when did it happen? That he wasn't rushing or urgent. I think that is so key in this, that the time frame of this showed what God did internally to this man. What a powerful phrase. The man believed the word. And it reminded me again of another story, just very briefly, of Matthew 8 and Luke 7, another powerful story like this. And we all know when the centurion sent elders... And some of his servants to go to Jesus and say, and this is even more amazing, my servant is sick, you know? 
please come heal my servant. That this man had that much compassion and love and care for humanity, for his own servants, to send some people down to bring Jesus. But here's the key. What did he tell the one? Oh, no, 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 Jesus, you don't have to come. I'm a man of authority, and I know who you are. And here's the three key words for all of us. Just what? Say the word. I don't, I don't need you to come. I don't need to see you to believe what you can do. I just believe. And Jesus at that point said, he was, it literally, he was amazed. Because he said very clearly, I've never seen greater faith in all of Israel. Because he believed without seeing it. He just believed without seeing Jesus. He knew who he was. There was faith there. And he was able to experience that. So at that moment, the father knew the fever was gone. And verse 52, yeah, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to, said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, look at the result. He himself believed in all his household. Whew. I know many of you in this body are struggling with your kids and family and ones who are not believers are seeking the Lord. But guys, this gives us hope. This is what we pray. Say, Lord, you're the same God that saved this man, and because of that salvation, your spirit moved in such a way that the whole family got saved. And this Greek word believed here literally means saving faith. At this point, there was a saving faith that took place, that it was no longer just about what Jesus did. It was about who he was, who he is as Messiah as Christ, as the Lord, the Son of God, the Son of Man that came. And salvation came to this official's house. And when we look back now again about God's overall plan, right? His sovereign will, his providence. What kind of, and we don't know, I can't wait. These are kind of the stories where I like, but you really don't know what it's going to be like in heaven or what we even care about. But to kind of say, Lord, I'd love to know the influence this family had from this point on. Think about it. An official in the king's court the impact this one family had for the sake of the gospel. It's incredible. And guys, we look to this and go, this is what we've been called to. This is the God we serve. This is who he is. And we can trust and hope in him in this way. And in the last verse, it says, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. And that simply means, literally, this fulfills the Cana cycle. That John is just saying, this was the second miracle did Jesus did in Cana, in Galilee, at this moment, to reveal himself to his home people for his glory. So I just love what we see here in this transition of faith. What this man experiences, coming to a place of despair and hopelessness, of needing to see and have Jesus come, to, by the work of the Spirit and his power, was able to believe the word Jesus spoke. And it just goes to the very end of what we're going to get to eventually in John 29. When Thomas comes doubting, and what does Jesus say? Okay, here it is. Check my side out. Here's my feet. But what was the quote? Man, blessed are they who what? Did not see and yet believe. Guys, that's us. Isn't that cool? We are that verse. I love that. We are the fruit of that declaration. How many of you seen Jesus physically? Anybody? And I'm not discounting some may. I know some others in other countries. I've got YWAM friends and missionaries that go to some tribal place where they say, this man showed up. I'm not going to discount what Jesus wants to do, but I've never seen him. But what do I have? Faith. God has granted us faith. And what I love about seeing the ministry of Jesus in closing 
and seeing this is all throughout his life, it was proclamation and demonstration. Everything Jesus was. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he would demonstrate the kingdom of God. And guess what we have all been called to in this room? To do the exact same thing. After Friday night, praying for Iran, seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ over there persecuted, literally in the underground church and crying out for prayers and desperation for the gospel for their families and all this. It's like, guys, we don't have a clue. And guys, I'm saying this for me. We always need to be reminded and reorient ourselves back to reality. The kingdom of God does not revolve around the United States of America. And we've got to continue to remember that. And guys, this isn't condemning us. It's like this is our reality for us as believers. And what we've been called to globally to be salt and light and to understand what we just read and the implications of it is that every one of us in the room, and what I love about it is the world out there that's lost it and needed and despair and broken, I want them to see the signs of Jesus in me. That's what we're called to. That when we're around them and we proclaim it and we live it and we experience the gospel and the kingdom around people, we are demonstrating that power. Y'all believe that? If you don't, please take this to the Lord. Seek him in this. God, I want to experience that kind of power that abides in us, that lives in us, that I see throughout this entire authoritative true book. It's here and it abides here. And he wants it to demonstrate out there. And it's both guys. It's not one or the other. I mean, I love what St. Francis of Assisi says. I love that quote, you know. <clears throat> as I gather my thing. You know, preach the gospel to the whole world, and if necessary, use words. I get that, but you've got to use words. You've got to proclaim it. Too many times in here he says, go, speak. Got, the word's got to be heard. Like, guys, it's, it's twofold, and that's why I see in this book for us to encourage us, coming out of Friday night, I mean, a lot has changed since... You know, this past week as I've been preparing, we've been having a good group on Wednesday, got to see the kids and then secret church and was with my dad last night. And it's like, oh my gosh, Lord, there's so much going on, <laughs> you know, help me. And then I read this and I go, there's my help right here. And it's in a person through his word. And I look around and I see the people in my life and those that need to know who he is, not just know what he did or what he does in the supernatural, the person of Christ this intimate relationship that he's called us to, to pro proclaim and to demonstrate to those in need despite the consequences. So that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. I love this text. And that each of us in the room could be at a place of peace and rest and trust regardless of the result. I have no idea when my father will take his last breath. But I fully trust the God who's going to take it. No doubt. And I'm at peace and rest regardless because of who he is and what I, who I know him to be. And I want that for all of us. And there's people out there at our jobs and our families that we're going to maybe see today or tomorrow that need to know that same peace and know that same trust because he's faithful. And we just saw how faithful he is. Jesus could have done it any way he wanted, but he manifested his power and glory uniquely for his purpose. And however he wants to do that in and through my father and his life, so be it. For the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, we thank you so much. Oh, Lord, for your, for your word, for your love, your gentleness, God, your kindness. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name, there's no condemnation in this place. None whatsoever. God, we look to your word and 
God, thank you for conviction. I'm convicted right now. And I thank you for that because that means your Holy Spirit's here. If I'm not convicted, then you're not at work. So God, thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that as we look to you, as you yourself, Jesus, sought the will of the Father, proactively sought his will, I pray, God, we see those words and hear those words and know that we can do nothing in and of ourselves on our own initiative, but God, that we seek you. We seek your will, every circumstance, every decision, every relationship, whatever you called us to, God, at schools, at jobs, on campuses, wherever, our workout places, whatever it is. God, I've just been so reminded this past weekend about our small little finite place in the world here at the corner of Bell and Vaughn. But it may be small and finite, but God, in your eyes, it is important and it's glorious and you have called us to participate with you. And I pray for each of us in this room that we would seek you to know you, that we would seek your spirit to guide and direct in the little things, not just as we see here, God, that this big plan to go back to Galilee, but every single day there's an intimacy in our relationship with you that we look to you for everything, that it becomes just a natural flow of our relationship. So God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you that we just saw in your word how you reached the nations with your gospel through proclamation and demonstration. And God, may we be a people that is like that. If you're in this room today and you've never come to Jesus, I just want to let you know he's inviting you. He's saying, come. I'm inviting you to experience my presence, my love, my power, my compassion, because I love you and I died for you. I took your place. Your sin doesn't have to separate us anymore because I took it. Come to me. Repent. Seek me. Come to me. And you'll find him. So as we worship, whatever Holy Spirit wants to do in it through the altar is open, whatever God may be stirring. But if there's someone here today that has never come to him, I'm going to be down here. I can pray with you. I can introduce you to him. But he loves you. He has a plan for all of us. The same purpose as God the Father led Jesus. There are specific things he's going to lead us into and guide us into, and he has purposed us to do for his kingdom. Have eyes to see and ears to hear it, saints, because he wants to speak it forth. In Jesus' name.